Welcome to Become an Idol. This is Episode 5. Become an Idol without a degree or experience, and this is just one former teacher's story. I am Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Tommy Seelock about his experience transitioning from secondary education to instructional design and e-learning development. We'll be sharing tips for switching careers and landing your first job, even if you don't have a degree or experience. With me is Tommy Seelock, and he is an e-learning developer and instructional designer at Netcracker. And I actually met Tommy through several different channels that we share in common on LinkedIn and also in the Facebook group, Become an Idol. And Tommy has just been such a help in that group, and he's so active in these different places on social media, and I've really just been encouraged by the way that he like reaches out and make tutorials just to help people and answer their questions. And so I met with Tommy just to come on and talk about his experiences of making the switch to becoming an instructional designer, and he used to be a secondary teacher. So Tommy, will you just introduce yourself and tell us about what you do now and where you came from? Sure, I am an e-learning instructional designer. I've spent the last five years since I graduated with my bachelor's in education or interdisciplinary studies, they call it at the University of North Texas, transitioning and building my career into what it is today. And that is going from a classroom teacher where I taught middle school English into an e-learning instructional designer um, and picking up the skills along the way to kind of make that happen. And it's, um, it's been a really exciting road. I think the reason that I want to reach out and help people is that I had to figure all of this out for myself. You know, when I was coming out of the classroom, um, I wasn't quite sure, uh, you know, what else could I do with a teaching degree? Um, now, I didn't go directly from instructional or directly from teaching to instructional design. I actually just took a job working for Pearson Education. And initially it was uh, inside sales for about a hot minute. But what motivated me to, to leave the classroom was just, uh, you know, the, the low pay, the politics within the district, and uh, just kind of the, the despair of um, teaching in, in a really inhospitable environment. And I absolutely loved my students and I loved what I did. And I felt, I feel that the education I received and the experience that I had teaching really allowed me to be successful in my career today. So it was an invaluable experience for me, but I knew it's not, um, it's not what I wanted um, forever. And so I actually took a job um, with Pearson selling educational products. And um, that was their entire K-12 curriculum. And anyone who's in education knows who Pearson is. Uh, textbooks, e-learning. Um, at the time, they had a learning management system. They had PowerSchool. We were selling all of it, and I was in a very challenging territory where textbook sales were slim to none, and so I had to be creative, and I started um, learning about e-learning and pushing their e-learning products, and I had a 
lot of success selling their LMS and their e-learning content. In fact, I made a, that's what I, that made up 90% of my sales. So much so that I then became kind of a SME in that area and delivered all of the in-depth sales presentations on Pearson's e-learning products, which led to me uh, come back to school season, actually uh, going out and implementing their LMS system and their e-learning content in school districts. And so I was traveling nationwide doing that, learning about, you know, how LMSs work in a school system, how to, you know, train teachers on how to use it, customizing their courses on the fly. Uh, and, and that's where I learned about the e-learning world and found out that instructional design was a field. Because I was having the time of my life. I loved it. I loved being back in a school, but also being able to help teachers and not dealing with some of the day-to-day challenges that came with teaching. So at that point, I thought, you know what? I'm already customizing these courses. I'm, I'm implementing LMS systems. I bet I could, I could find a job doing this full-time. And that's when I discovered instructional design. And I started applying for instructional design jobs and was lucky enough to get hired as an instructional designer. And I had a strong mentor who helped, really helped me learn authoring tools. And I figured out what I needed to learn. After that, it's just been a process of me refining my skills and developing my career and, and chasing the and kind of chasing the dream of doing this full time for corporations and and becoming the best designer that I can. But I feel like it all started in the classroom and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had the grit and the pedagogical knowledge to go as far as I have if I didn't, you know, teach in a classroom where I was designing my own curriculum from scratch every day, where I started with nothing, where I had high risk students, where I was working 60 hours a week. It was a defining experience for me. And I, I feel if you're an educator, you really need to frame that experience because what you're going through and what you're doing is probably more challenging than what most will ever face in, in a typical nine to five office environment. I think it speaks volumes about anyone's character um, and abilities who's come from that background. Absolutely. I uh, have one of my best friends is a is a teacher and, and she, you're right. She doesn't even she doesn't just go to the classroom and have to teach these students at night. She is developing lesson plans right. for the like every night she's working on her on more lesson plans and activities and all mm-hmm. the things that she has to deliver in the classroom. And so um, it is. And then, of course, you have like teacher meetings and you have um, school functions that you have to go. Absolutely. To, parent phone calls. And <laughs> My first semester teaching, uh, I was put in charge of the LPAC which is basically how we assess and place students for ESL. And so I wasn't even supposed to be doing that as a first-year teacher. But um, in my first year teaching professionally, I did not have a mentor. I was put in charge of the LPAC. I didn't get any additional planning periods for it. So in addition to learning how to teach, I was also leading this committee and doing all the, taking care of all the home language surveys and going to these seminars to figure out how to update the students' um, records, um, which were, you know, missing. We didn't have data for three years that I was now all of a sudden um, scrambling trying to collect. So there were a lot of challenges there, a lot of things that as a brand new professional, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't realize that the things that were happening were not above board. So I, I felt like the, the one thing that actually made it all worth it to me was, was were my students. They were um, incredible and they were smart and kind and they were just underserved by a system that wasn't designed to um, help them be successful. That part broke my heart but 
you know, um, my students, I was, I was teaching them writing and they, they were very successful. And that was because I did exactly what you're describing. They wrote an essay every week and I graded 130 essays every single week after hours because we were not allowed to do any grading during the instructional day. It all had to be done either on our, um, planning period or after hours. So for me, it was, it was, you know, 60 to 80 hour work weeks. I felt that for the salary I was making, it just, it wasn't, wasn't justifiable, but going through a, I went through an undergraduate education degree and, you know, throughout that process, we learned many, many, many aspects of pedagogy and, and course design and curriculum design that are very similar to what you get in adult learning, but never did we know that there were other careers where you could use these skills outside of just pure K-12 teaching. Had many of us known what was out there as undergraduates, um, it would have really broadened our horizons as what we could have done after college. So you said something about how you made the the switch, but because you just, I guess you applied to work for Pearson. So then when you were working for Pearson, you were doing some customizing and things like that of the learning yes. of the e-learning courses and the learning management system. But then you had to actually make the switch from being in a sales role to become an instructional designer. So how did you get that first, I'm an instructional designer title? That happened to me as I was working at Pearson. They were going through a lot of reorganization. So my, my job title changed about three times. And that's when I went from an account executive to a virtual learning consultant. And so my, and I was so lucky that most of my responsibilities, you know, I completely within a few months was out of sales and into kind of um, e either doing um, presentations or um, even doing sales training, um, kind of bringing up the account executives up to speed on how to sell virtual learning um, and e-learning. And then um, that there was not, a, there were not enough field trainers and people with product knowledge to go out and do the implementations during uh, back to school one year. And so they asked me to go do it because I had the skills. And so I did. That built my knowledge um, it, just to discover what instructional design and e-learning was. But I do want to emphasize that that all culminated because I didn't really know. I wasn't here listening to a podcast like this. I didn't have anything. I didn't know this was a field. I didn't know it was a field. So once I discovered that, I thought, wow, my teaching ability, what I learned as a teacher really aligns well to this and I'm already tech savvy. So, you know, my kind of roundabout way into the field, you can kind of skip that, right? Um, if you have the curriculum design skills and you know what you're doing and you have the support to make that change. So yeah, I did get that job title at Pearson and that did help a lot. That helped me get my foot into the door with interviews. However, the game has changed dramatically since I had that first job because I didn't have a portfolio at the time. I got very lucky. I feel that that job title would not hold water against a teacher coming out of the classroom who's gone through this pro the process of creating a portfolio of of showing that they have some tangible um, skills with development and design and the ability to show that to a hiring manager I think would supersede any kind of you know trading related job title or um, other way of like transitioning into this field. I completely agree with you. It is like a whole new ball game out there. And it's exactly what you said. Like I too, I think I got lucky. I mean, I made a portfolio, but I had no clue what, <laughs> what that meant at the time. Yeah. Like I, I like took screenshots of a Moodle LMS course that I 
right. I built out like, oh, this is instructional design, right? This is what you're looking for. Now the field is is different as far as who's recruiting, what hiring managers are looking for, and what the standards are now. It's like everyone has a portfolio and that's what everyone is looking for. So to that end, what are some of your best advice as far as first real steps that somebody who wants to become an instructional designer can take right now uh, to land their first job or even just get an interview? Sure. Well, I think the first step is if you're listening to this podcast, if you're involved, if you're already engaged in this community and you know it exists, good job. Right. Um, right. You're already you're already around professionals. You're learning about what's expected in this type of position. You're engaged and you already have more than I did when I got started. So that's exciting. I recommend to anyone who wants to get into this field, first and foremost, we have social media networks, right? Find a mentor, find someone who's willing to talk to you, even as far as if you have to pay them a little bit for their time to, to just introduce you to this field and, and the skill sets needed. Um, someone who's currently working in instructional design. I'm sure there are many people who would be able to give you some advice for free um, and then for a fee, you know, spend more time with them and learn their skills. But Find someone you can talk to who can kind of guide you. There's, there are many of us out there and many of us who are willing to help and give advice and tell you what they've learned and what they've experienced and, and how they gain the skills that they did. Uh, because the best way to learn anything is with a, in a, a one-to-one mentorship kind of relationship. And that, to me, would be more valuable than any other educational experience. The second thing, once you've found someone who you can at least talk to, and, and maybe it's this group, it's maybe it's, it's interacting with it on Facebook. In this day and age, e-learning is, is e-learning's at the top of everyone's mind. You know, traditionally instructional design did not, uh, the requirements were not um, such that you needed e-learning experience or um, development abilities. In the corporate world, the, the definition of instructional design is blurred drastically where to the point at least where I'm at in North America the line between a instructional designer an e-learning developer a graphic designer um, you know that's that's all very blurred and I, I feel like that can be overwhelming for people coming into this industry now that the the kind of the job requirements have been stacked on top one after the other after the other and it's like my gosh I need to be a software developer and I need to be an instructional designer and do all these things well um, what I'll tell you is the first thing you need to do is just get proficient with one authoring tool. And the one everyone recommends, and I do too, is learning um, Storyline 360 because you get a 60-day free trial with that, just with an email address. 60 days is enough time for you to learn it um, with basic proficiency. And then you have those e-learning heroes challenges where you can see examples of the kind of e-learning experiences that folks are looking to create. And the reason I say to focus on e-learning is that is easy to show off with your portfolio, which is the next thing you'll need to make, right? Once you've learned your authoring tool, once you're starting to see what's trending with e-learning, you'll want to build some samples and turn those into a portfolio that's expressed through a compelling website and that shows kind of your, your taste in design. And if you make that investment in your time, if you, if you learn an authoring tool, and you can learn an authoring tool by going on Udemy uh, and, and paying $10 for a course that walks you through how to do it. I did it even when I transitioned from Lectora and Captivate. I switched to go into Storyline. I just took a Udemy course and I was like, wow, 
where was this years ago? It's, it is not cost prohibitive to get that authoring tool and learn it and, and build some samples that will become your e-learning portfolio. Again, ILT is important. If you're coming from a teaching role, you probably have strong examples of ILT as a teacher. You have lesson plans, you have curriculum maps, you have six weeks plans. And, and the way I would sell those is that those show that you understand how to write a learning objective. They understand that you can create curricula that is aligned, that is, you know, objective focused and that has assessment that's appropriate to the learning experience. I think that speaks volumes about your, your pedagogy, right? So really what you need is something that will show folks that, hey, I can kind of bring the razzle-dazzle a little bit, as I like to say, because people like e-learning. It's pretty, it's exciting, and um, it, it, it's kind of, it really brings a wow factor. So that is the process that I would recommend. Find someone who you can talk to, and if you really need a lot of help or if you really want to go in there, I would say pay them. And, and ask them to, to walk you through how to do everything with this job and through the, uh, the ID specific things like um, uh, e-learning project management, like Addy, things like that. Then get your authoring tool, get proficient with it, and based on that, build your portfolio. And it is so easy to do a portfolio now to build a website. You have Wix.com where you can build a website about yourself that's really visually compelling that you can link to files um, from your portfolio. You can use a Google Drive. Um, but you need to have a, a portfolio website with maybe four to six samples on it that are just really high fidelity and that kind of gets someone looking at your page excited about what you can do. And then what I do is I have another Dropbox that is just full of everything I've ever done that I can actually share that I say, hey, you like this? If you want to see more, here's my other bag of tricks. In my current role, I've interviewed a lot of uh, instructional design candidates from different parts of the world. And I can say that what our our manager is looking for, what our team is, our team looked for while we were doing that is we want to see the portfolio. We want to see the skills. Um, you know, your background uh, is is not as important as what you can do in, in any kind of proof that you can actually do this job. Um, and, and so that will doing that much and making that investment in your time. And I understand as a teacher, it's going to be hard because you're going to work all day and then you're going to be doing, you're going to be grading papers. You're going to be doing all these other things, but you're going to have to carve out the time to invest in yourself and, um, you know, find and, and, and take a leap of faith into this field. But if you do these things um, and you work hard at it, it, it will pay off and it will be worth it. That's excellent. And so just to uh, make a few things clear, ILT means instructor-led training, and that's one of our, our jargon terms or our abbreviations or whatever that we use all the time. And then whenever uh, Thomas mentioned ADDIE, that's just another acronym for the process that instructional designers use to build courses. ADDIE, of course, is analysis, design, development, implementation, evaluation, and I would just like to add on to that, Thomas, awesome, awesome advice is that before you even download the Articulate Storyline trial, go ahead and write a course script, right? If you are used to making lesson plans and whatever, just write it out as a full script and think about what you might want to try to learn to do to make this uh, script that you've written part of your samples and for your portfolio work. That way you have the full 60 days to learn it and you have some material to start working with. Because I think that also becomes kind of an 
overwhelm is like, oh, I have to write a course and learn the authoring tool at the same time. So right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hadn't even, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> that's why. But, that's why we do this together, Tommy. Yeah. No, that's 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 really slick. I like that. Um, and that will give you the chance. And that's an that will build a very strong habit, which is when you're working as an instructional designer, you should let your your content dictate the treatment, not the other way around. So if you're designing in that kind of design first modality it will it will actually build good habits down the line with every e-learning course that we do um in my current Oregon that i've done in the past we we design and we storyboard before we build it we have a fleshed out design document that um is think of it like your lesson plan only about 10 times that and and that is what we use to uh, make basic design decisions ensure alignment and uh, make sure that everything's um, the way we want it before we invest the time in building it in the authoring tool. So if you get used to that now and doing what, what Robin said, it will help you. Yeah, it's a lot like making a movie. I've had stakeholders or bosses or whatever in the corporate world when I did that, and they would say, oh, let's just build things in phases and we'll just we'll just make it better later. And I made the mistake one time of like going along with that idea and it's actually a terrible idea because it's a lot like a movie and that you can't just like throw something together and say like, oh, this is just phase one. Like, you know, here's the course and we'll just go back and, you know, make it pretty later or make the content better later. It's like, no, if you put out a terrible movie, nobody's going to come back for your part two of that movie. Nobody's going like, to, you're going to waste your time. And you're also in like the corporate environment, especially there's always new problems to solve. Right. And so you're never right. going like, to get to go backwards and, uh, and update that phase one version. You're just going to have like this like ugly course that you're embarrassed about um, on your learning management system because, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh, one day yeah. I'll fix it and you and you never will. So, yeah, that's a I, I that's a challenge. And I feel like, you know, another thing you learn in the corporate world is that you're often constrained by resources. You don't always have everything you need and you have to make do. I feel like as a teacher, you are like as a teacher, I was used to that. I was used to rubbing two sticks together and making five in my classroom. So for me, um, that, that attitude and that mentality um, really um, made a huge difference when I went into instructional design and I just had to find a way to learn things and to get things done. Um, I also think that um, what you just said about the fact that you need to do it right the first time, um, absolutely. I can tell you that we focus on evaluation, but a lot of times there's there's always a new project bouncing at you in the corporate world. And unlike education where, you know, you, if you're an English teacher, you're going to learn your content area and then you're going to teach that content area. Um, it's always changing with instructional design. You're always teaching a new skill set or a new topic or designing content for some new initiative. So um, you're, you're, you're learning something for the first time all the time. And, and that's something you have to be comfortable with. Um, I think a trap that many new designers fall into is they try to become a SME on in, on those topics that they're working on. Um, obviously, you want to build basic content knowledge, but you know you'll never you always need a subject matter expert who is in that field to guide you, and uh, never assume that you are that expert <laughs> because you're not. And um, 
it's it's kind of an interesting position to be in because as teachers we're used to being both the designer of our curriculum and the experts in our content area. And that's something that um, won't happen as an instructional designer. Your job is to be an expert on learning and development um, and instructional design. And so that's, uh, I like to think of myself as industry agnostic. And I've worked in a variety of industries from the restaurant business to finance to now uh, technology and telecommunications. And so I can say that the way you um, train people, the way you develop e-learning, the processes you use in your best practices, that will not change regardless of industry. So if you make the investment to learn those now, it will pay off and you'll, you'll be equipped to handle um, you know, any industry in any subject matter. I'm so glad you brought that up. So you've pointed out like some of the ways that lesson planning is similar to corporate training and you've also uh, mapped out like a couple of the differences, but what do you think are some of the like main differences between writing curriculum in this way, like for a classroom and corporate instructional design? What are these like main differences for you that people may not be aware of? The biggest difference I, I feel is that um, first scale. As an educator, you're focused on a really condensed 45-minute lesson. Um, and for my, in, in my case, it, it followed like a Madeline Hunter format or a 5Es kind of format where, you know, it's like every lesson we know, all right, we're going to have an anticipatory set and then we're going to, you know, we're going to engage the learner. We're going to give them some direct instruction, check for understanding, um, some sort of guided practice, individual practice, and then um, we're going to wrap it up with uh, an evaluation or some kind of summative assessment. Uh, you know, having a strong foundation in a model like that will, will help you, but um, with, with instructional design and with corporate training, you're going to be developing content at a much, on a much larger scale. Um, you'll be writing, you know, uh, storyboards that are, you know, north of uh, eight to 10,000 words a lot of times, and that's not even very long. So I, I think the biggest difference is you're going to have to get comfortable um, with your writing skills. If you're not coming from a strong writing background, be prepared because as much of uh, as development is at the e on the e-learning side of the visual endeavor, you need to be a strong writer because um, yeah, every single word that you put on that page and then in that course or deliver through that training is going to be seen, viewed, or heard by um, all the learners of your organization. So uh, I would say there's a much, you need a much more developed um, writing style and um, you need more of, you need a stronger tech writing background, which you'll gain over time um, once you, once you go into this field. The other biggest difference is uh, you're going, kind of like what I mentioned before, you're going to have a lot of diversity in topics and um, subjects and it's, it's not going to be uh, as simple as, yeah, all right, I'm going to look at my state standards and then I'm going to map out a six week, um, curriculum. It's, uh, you know, um, you're going to have your main projects that you're working on for, through diverse subject areas. And then all of a sudden you're going to get um, a request for something urgent, or um, you're going to have to circumvent your own process to do something off the cuff. And, uh, you know, it can throw a wrench in your plans. So I feel like you, I have, you have to be much more adaptable and will and, um, work a lot more quickly and just be ready for anything. Uh, but from a pure content writing perspective, I do feel though that if you do have a strong background in 
designing your own curriculum, writing it from scratch. If you came through a traditional education program where you were first still forced to learn all about Bloom's verbs and forced to learn how to write objectives. And I mean, forces. And I remember uh, I was sitting in undergrad class. It was a three hour class and we were, we were not allowed to leave the class until we wrote uh, fully aligned um, learning objectives that had the proper Bloom's verb, um, at, you know, the proper content and the proper assessment at the end. We had to write them over and over again. And once we got them right, that was our ticket out the door. And so some of us were there for half an hour extra. So I felt like, you know, it, that is kind of the best preparation you can have for something like this. If you have, you know, that strong curriculum development and content development background, um, much more so than someone who's never written anything like this. Right. Or maybe you're an internal employee at the company coming from operations and you're transferring into instructional design. Um, you're going to be behind somebody who's coming from a teaching background as far as trying to do this sort of thing. Again, like the last point I'll make about it is it, it is a much larger scale. You're going to be dealing with a variety of subjects, including very technical subjects. You could be dealing with things that you don't fully understand, and you're going to have to reach out to a SME to help you to understand uh, what is this technical jargon. Those are the two biggest, biggest areas where you might have some challenges. Yeah, exactly. So these are excellent differentiators between the classroom and corporate training, and also the differences between teaching children and adults are something else that we should probably just mention. So when you're creating like lesson plans for children, it is similar in corporate training that you have to get and hold their attention. But yes. the differences, some of the main differences for teaching adult learners include things like they like to be able to ask questions and they like to be able to share their experiences and they like to relate it to right. experiences that they've had previously and they want to own more of what it is that they're learning and they want to know like what's in it for them in a real world application. Absolutely. They're as adult, you know, children, they're there because their job is to learn. That is their primary job. You have a captive audience with children. As an adult in, in this field, you are competing for their attention with their day job, with everything else they're trying to do. You, your content has to be specific, targeted, concise and able to, um, you know, help get that with them that that uh, that what's in it for me immediately, because otherwise they're they're going to they're not going to pay attention. You're not going to have the learning outcome. So I think you're absolutely right, Robin. The big it's, it's huge difference between teaching children and adults and the fact that there is not a lot of room for error. <laughs> if you if you don't do everything right, um, they're going to ignore it and you're not going to have those learning outcomes. So. Um, yeah, it's, I think just in time learning and um, providing more concise learning um, opportunities for adults, things that are very targeted to their day job or a specific workflow, they're, they're more willing to do that. It's funny. So I'll, I'll just share a very short anecdote. Um, we, I, at a previous organization, we were talking about the difference between adding audio or not, and then have, whether or not we're going to have actually all the, the text on the slide. Well, you know, we wanted to improve the experience by um, adding audio. And sometimes with adults, you have unintended consequences because they'll find ways to like circumvent things. When we did add all the audio, um, I, I got some wonderful feedback on how happy they were that they didn't have to read anymore. Um, unfortunately, it was in the form of, this is great, I can just play this on one screen, and then I can go and uh, do emails on the other one and just listen to it. I don't have to like look at the screen anymore. 
And I'm like, well, that sure did just defeat the purpose of what we're trying to do here. Um, but unintended consequences, right? And I feel like as you get into this field, those are the things you'll learn and you'll find the right balance and get to know your audience more. Um, and with adult learners, you're going to have a lot more diversity in, um, well, probably, you know, it's very diverse with children too, but with adults, the way you, the content you present to somebody in marketing is different from what you do for somebody in finance or operations or, you know, um, someone who's a software developer, right? It's, you have to consider the audience a lot more and what's going to be relevant for them and, um, you know, what is their prior knowledge? And so one of the things we're doing at NetCracker is um, we may, we try to modularize our e-learning as much as possible so that folks are only, you know, getting the, the nuggets of content that's relevant to them and their job. And then, uh, we try to keep our audience in mind um, and determine, you know, which content is truly necessary for this individual or, um, you know, give the learner options to skip certain content if they already have a background in it. If they're an administrative level and one for one administrator for one program, they don't need there's certain things they don't need to know. They can skip it and giving them the control over their own learning and allowing them to be an adult and say, hey, I can, I can own my own learning experience. I'm not someone you need to tell to click next to continue onto every single slide, right? Um, giving them, you know, they're adults, right? And I feel like sometimes, and I've been guilty of this as instructional designers, we, we don't give them, we don't give our learners enough credit, especially with like e-learning where we say, oh, well, you know, we need to force them through this one path. Um, when in reality, they're, they're busy, they're adults. Uh, if you don't create those bite-sized, impactful learning experiences, they're just going to click through the whole thing and say, forget it. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's also, you know, a lot of times you may not uh, even realize like the kind of differences in experiences for designing curriculum, even for like my example is higher education, right? So when you write curriculum for higher education, you're like, you need to read this textbook you need to turn in this paper, you need to do this activity, you need to write this on the discussion boards, right? And people do it and they're motivated to do it because they are paying for this. And there is a reward at the end, which is their degree or their certificate. And so they have those internal motivators. But just like you said, these are adults who like they're, you're trying to teach them stuff when they're on the job. And so they have all these other things that they have to do. They feel a lot of times that training is just a waste of their time. And so that's why you see things in corporate training that's very different from curriculum in a you know, higher education or some other you know, educational institution. And it's because you will see things like animations and games and people say, oh, just these like stupid bells and whistles yes. or whatever. But that's not it. It's about making it engaging because otherwise they are not paying attention. They do not care. They think that you're wasting their time. And so that's why like storytelling is so important. That's why making like things small and like, oh, this doesn't take so long um, is yes. important. And, and the animations and all that kind of stuff. It's just another way to get their attention and make, make it enjoyable for them. Absolutely. And if you notice, there's a lot of trends seeping in from web design and UX design into e-learning development, into instructional design. And that's kind of the way things are going. So the more you can learn about design in general, the better off you'll be because the psychology behind what appeals to people visually and 
um, what appeals to them in an experience is, is pretty universal and you can apply that to your 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 work as a as an instructional designer um, and you know what you might go down the path where you're one of those folks who you um, you're completely analog you know where you're designing curriculum you're building a storyboard and then you're handing it to a developer and if you're in that role that's great but I, I'd still argue it is important to understand and have basic proficiency with some of these tools and these concepts so that way when you are designing your curriculum you understand the the uh, medium that it's going to be delivered in uh, and that will make your your design stronger so I don't I don't think anyone's losing out by kind of learning some of these these design and development skills Tommy, you have shared so much wisdom. This has been all gold. And so I would like to close it out by just having you share your final and best tip. Sure. Um, we already touched on everything else. So my final tip is when you are applying to these positions, you need to be confident. Um, you need to be ready to sell yourself. And you're going to need to apply to a lot more jobs than you think you do. You know, I have a lot of folks who've reached out to me over the t over time and they said, I am not getting hired. And I asked, well, how many jobs did you apply to? And they're like, five. No, apply to 50. <laughs> and out of the ones who call you back, you know, just like sales, you need to build a funnel for yourself and you need to be just relentless in, in pursuing jobs and, and applying and just overcoming rejection um, until, until it happens. And um, just don't give up because there's a lot of opportunity in this field. And if you have done these other things that we've talked about with building your portfolio um, and developing your skills, you will eventually, uh, it's an eventuality that you'll get hired. Someone will give you a chance. You just have to just keep being persistent and, and don't give up. That's right. You just need one yes. <laughs> That's right. You can give me a thousand no's. You just need one yes. And, and, you'll, and you're in. And once you're in, it gets so much easier. That's right. And then there's all these paths you can take. Tommy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and all your wisdom. Thank you. This is wonderful. I'm going to have you back on again later. We're going to talk about like UX and interaction design, all that fun stuff. Sure. Sure. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. I'd love that. All right. Thanks again. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn how to build all the assets you'll need to land your first job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities you won't find anywhere else. You can sign up for the waitlist at idlecourses.com. It opens in June of this year, 2019. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.